I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Gordon Lawson, CEO at Conceal, provider of an intelligence-grade zero-trust technology that protects global companies of all sizes from malware and ransomware. To learn more about our sponsor, Conceal, visit conceal.io. Also joining us is Mark McLaughlin, chairman of the board of Qualcomm, former chairman, president, and CEO at Palo Alto Networks, and an advisor to Conceal. Mark, Gordon, welcome. Great to have you both with us today. Happy to be here. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. Mark, you've been such a huge contributor to our industry. You sit on the board at some very important tech companies in the industry. I want to start off by asking, in your opinion, are we as a society, nationally, globally, making progress in the war against cybercrime? Short answer is yes. Um, you know, if you harken back to 10 years ago, it seemed like being able to make any dent in cybercrime might have been an insurmountable challenge for us. Certainly far from victory. I'm not sure we're ever going to get there in our lifetime, given the pace and rate of change of technology. But if you start to look at things just like what awareness levels at all levels, uh, let's consumer, small businesses, large businesses, government, that's a big difference in a decade. If you look at public-private partnerships and how much time um, the public is spending with the government and vice versa, not just in the United States as well, a big check. And then if you look at the relationship with the uh, United States and like my countries on cyber, a lot more work happening than I've ever seen before as well. So I give that a big check too. Tons of work to do. This is, like I said, it's a, this is not a battle that um, we're going to declare victory on perhaps ever. But as far as seeing the ability to do a f as fine a job as we can, and I think this is going to come up later on or it probably should come up in the program later on about what does that look like? What does it take? I think we moved the ball substantially forward in the last 10 years. So, Gordon, before we go uh, any further here, I have to ask, how do you know Mark? How did he get involved with Conceal? There's a lot of people watching and, you know, they've seen Mark on broadcast TV, as we all have. He's got a very high profile in the industry. And I'm curious, what exactly does Mark and the advisors do for your company? Well, first off, uh, I'm a Naval Academy grad. Mark's a, a West Point grad, so he was very kind of not to spend some time with a uh, someone from a rival service academy, but that's actually how we got connected was through a mutual friend who was also a service academy grad. And Mark's a, a very humble person, but objectively, pound for pound, I think the most successful cyber CEO in the history of our industry and being able to spend time with them has been absolutely amazing. Not just from a kind of a tactics and techniques procedures of growing a company, but just from a overarching leadership uh, perspective and his insights there with our team have been, been really, really amazing. And we have a we have a spot we have breakfast at in, in California that's uh, that, that I, I look forward to those meetings immensely. Just like our other advisors, uh, you know, I, I want to bring people around Conceal that that make uh, our company stronger, that make me a better CEO. And uh, Mark is kind enough to, to spend some time doing that. So Mark, before we dig further into cybercrime, I want to take you back around five years ago. You were heading up PAN at the time with the launch of the cybersecurity badges with the Girl Scouts of the USA and their CEO, Sylvia Acevedo, a mutual friend that we have. And that turned out to be a huge success. I don't know how much you've continued to follow, but over 300,000 girls have earned badges at this point, which is, I mean, it's just remarkable. And a lot of them will be our future cyber fighters. Did you have any idea how big this was going to be back in 2017? I didn't. And uh, just before I address that, uh, thank you, Gordon, for those kind words. Uh, Gordon's uh, a real company builder, so I love spending time with him. And uh, what the company's doing is fantastic. So it's, a, it's an honor, privilege for me to get time with him and the rest of the advisors. On the Girl Scouts, um, I didn't, Steve, you know, um, 
spending time years ago thinking about problems that we're still thinking about, right? Which is um, how do we up our game in cyber one? We know we have a dearth of uh, trained cyber professionals, right? I think the definition of what that means training-wise is changing, changing, by the way, but that's the second problem we have. A third problem we have is the percentage of uh, females and underrepresented minorities in cyber is, um, is worse than it is just from a corporate America perspective. So it's a third issue, right? Um, and then also, um, how do we reach people in remote areas, right? And bring them um, along from a cyber perspective. So we th thought a lot about that at Palatin Networks, still think about it there. And we're always, everything we did, you know, we started the Cyber Threat Alliance. We started the Joint Service Academy Cyber Summits and the Girl Scouts as well. Everything had this one thing in mind, which was leverage, right? I always, you know, and the team always thought about leverage. How do we take limited resources and turn them into 10x, 100x what the one resource unit is, right? So we're always looking for leverage. Um, so when we became aware that the Girl Scouts under Sylvia's leadership, and as I should say, as a side note, she's a friend. Uh, I invited her to join the board at Qualcomm. She's on the board there with me at Qualcomm. So I do have the opportunity to stay in touch with her as well as see what's going on with the Girl Scouts. But when we became aware that um, the Girl Scouts under Sylvia's leadership was being very uh, purposeful as to the direction for the Girl Scouts in the future and asking their membership, which is always a great idea, right? What do you want? you know, and as they were thinking about which direction to hit. And there was a big focus on STEM, a desire for that. And also on cyber, there was a number of things that she showed me that the membership wanted, right? And so one of them was cyber. So we came up with the idea that uh, what if there was a, a badge accreditation program, which the Girl Scouts know exactly how to do, right, for lots of other things for cyber, that it would go from all the way from the beginning of the Girl Scouts joining to all the way through high school. So it had to graduate, you know, in terms of knowledge base. Um, and it had to be a curriculum that was designed to be trained by the trainer. One of the beauties of the Girl Scout organization is um, they're everywhere. There's Girl Scout operations in literally every zip code in the United States, in remote Alaska, everywhere, right? So if we could make it... Um, teachable, where we came up with curriculum so that the local leaders could then teach these skill sets so that the girls and young women could earn badges, um, we would have a nationwide effort that if I go back to the four leverage points, women, underrepresented minorities um, in every locality, grassroots in the United States, and bringing more talent. Now, with that in mind, for any of these kind of efforts, I think Sylvia's very forward-looking on it. You have to think a decade or more. Like that's how long it takes to see the impact of something like that. With over three hundred thousand badges out there, phenomenal success. There's going to be a lot more, and I think there's going to be some impact to this. I can't measure it. I don't know. But when you have three hundred thousand young women getting these cyber badges, something's going to stick, right? For a percentage of them that are going to show up, right, in industry, in government, in civic leadership programs, um, that this is going to be a part of their, their formation. So I uh, started going at length there, but that was one of the things probably the, the most proud of, you know, the Palatine Networks was ever involved in. Glad to see it continue to be so successful.
Well, Mark, I really appreciate you sharing all of that. And there are some people in our industry who really are just so special and they as individuals make a huge difference. Sylvia took the time to uh, travel to our offices was sort of in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, she sat down with us and spoke at length about the program and we filmed some media with her. And as a result, we became very active and started, you know, to share the program with a lot of other people. Gordon, let me turn to you and, you know, sort of build on this because what Mark is speaking about uh, is, you know, much bigger than, you know, the Girl Scouts program. We have a huge challenge. We have millions of unfilled positions in our industry. Is it technologies that, that's going to help bridge the gap? Do we need a massively new approach to recruiting, even though, you know, we're already, you know, pushing so hard to get more women, minorities, and young people in the field? Is it a combination of these? You know, what do we do to shrink that gap? I think it's improvement on all fronts, Steve. I think if there's one word for me, it's it's kind of awareness. And, and I'll say, there's one thing where there's, uh, you know, things like B-sides or CTFs or coding academies. Those things are great and it gets people into the technical side of the field. But I, but I think what we've talked about a little bit too, especially with what we're trying to build in Augusta, you know, Augusta, Georgia is the second largest concentration of military cyber in the country. We have major universities here, but we're the first international cybersecurity company to be headquartered here. And I think we need to continue to invest cyber companies maybe outside of the known popular cities because we're able to build in uh, a very strong inside sales, customer success sales force, where you have a little bit of that technical knowledge about cyber, but but it's such a great career field. Even if you can get, you know, just kind of a cursory knowledge and, and get into being uh, in, into the ecosystem, it really is employment for life. So we're trying to increase awareness in, uh, in this area. Uh, we're, we Because it is a, a concentration for military cyber, working with the, uh, the veteran community here to make sure when folks get off of active duty, they, they realize that they can go to a Palo Alto Networks, they can go to a, a Conceal, they can go to these other companies. It's not just about going back and being a contractor in their former job. That's great too, but we want to really open up that aperture for them. And so I think awareness is critical. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Conceal is leading the fight to protect organizations from cyber threats and malicious web-based activity. If there is malware, we detect, defend, and isolate it before it disrupts your users or your network. We enable organizations to protect themselves from malware and ransomware at the edge through zero-trust isolation technology. Fortune 500 and government organizations globally use Conceal solutions to ensure their users and IT operations remain secure, anonymous, and isolated from attacks. To learn more, visit Conceal.io today. And now, back to the podcast. So, Mark, I want to pivot from cybercrime to cyber warfare and ask how concerned you are about our nation's, uh, you know, security, cyber threats from hostile nations. And is this a talking point in boardrooms and amongst C-suite executives? Uh, are they more concerned about this? I think so. And I think the awareness continues to go up and the concern continues to go up. Generally, almost everybody in cyber would categorize, um, you know, problems in cyber and various buckets, right? And one of them would be criminal, one would be the nation state actors. I think a lot of focus on the criminal side has been actually really helpful on the nation state side, uh, both from terms of some nation states actually use criminal organizations, right? As front organizations or as asymmetric, uh, asymmetric warfare organizations. Um, in addition to that, the tactics that are used by cyber criminals, particularly more sophisticated ones, um, are some of the tactics that are used by nation states as well. So just the more that we're engaged in, in fighting, uh, whatever the adversary is, the better it's going to be for us on the skills. And the other point I'll raise is 
this is my opinion, right? Uh, which is cyber, and this kind of goes to what Gordon was just saying a second ago. But um, when we talk about the dearth of of people and cyber and skill sets, I think we need to be very, very careful to make sure we know what we mean by what skill sets. It's this is not just about bodies, right? Um, at one time it was. It's not just about that. It's skill sets in rapidly changing technical environments, right? And if I pressed on one thing constantly, it was always um, how would you measure success, right? As, as to what we're doing, back to your first question. And trying to keep that simple, because in many boardrooms, I've had the opportunity to be in a lot of boardrooms um, as board members, but mostly just talking about cyber with other boards. When it's not as technical of a company as you would find in Silicon Valley, for example, trying to keep those concepts simple. And I've noted a few things, which, which I think are I think are true, you know, we'll see as it plays out over time. And one of them would be, how would you define success generally about what we're trying to do, whether it's a nation state or a criminal? And one of the ways that you could be successful there was to, through the use of people and technology, increasingly more technology to get leverage again, massively increase the cost to the adversary, right? So it's not free to be a cyber criminal or a nation state practicing, you know, a cyber attack, right? So every time we're successful in figuring out a playbook, um, defeating attacks, spreading that knowledge as fast as we can, creating self-healing systems, all the things that you know is happening in the industry and getting better and better, the cost of a successful cyber attack, not the, you know, not the, not the attack, the successful cyber attack, right? The cost of it goes up and we'll be able to put a lot of people out of business, whether it might be chaff, right? You know, the low end stuff. You put them out of business, right? Um, which then means only increasingly sophisticated get the, uh, players get to play. Well, the more sophisticated they are, the generally the higher they go on the unit side as well, right? So some of this would be saying, who is doing this stuff? If you can eliminate a lot of the low end criminals, and there's a cost aspect of this, where's the money, right? So just raising the the unit side as well, which is if you make it more expensive to play in this game. Um, then there's more chances you're actually going to put eyes on who it is, right? Some of those are going to be nation states, of course, and that's kind of where the corporate side ends, in my opinion, right? And that's where the government and private partnership picks up, which is if you can raise the the level of visibility on them, now you're into diplomacy, um, it, for lack of a better term, right? Cyber diplomacy, right? As to and cyber uh, cyber state uh, cyber statecraft, right? Um, where the government and, and companies can work together as to what can they go do about it now. And we've seen the United States being um, you know, way more aggressive in the last 10 years and, than ever before on takedown operations, uh, calling people out, indicting them, whether they're ever going to face a trial or not, but um, really putting them in the spotlight, right? And keeping the cost rising for them will make it more likely that they can be found in the spotlight later on. So that that would be my view is to uh, how to talk to boards about this as well, which is you're not going to fight a nation state. You can defend, right? <laughs> but there's a level where that ends. But don't feel like you're not doing anything by successfully knocking down the cyber criminals because you are. You're raising the cost for everybody then. So speaking to the cyber criminals, Mark, uh, what about uh, AI, chat, GPT, there is no toll booth on that. Uh, they have access to it. Um, you know, they're being weaponized. Maybe you can touch on that and uh, the other side of the coin, cybersecurity and our cyber fighters and how it can help them. Well, all 
new technologies have the uh, the benefit and the disadvantage right, of being utilized by the cyber criminals. Generally, you're going to use them faster than the good guys will because they don't have as many constraints, right? And you could you could say that's the case with software, it's the case with cloud, it's going to be the case with quantum computing, it's going to be the case with AI. So kind of back to the leverage point and, and uh, people, I think increasingly it's really important to use the analogy, overuse analogy, like you don't bring a knife to a gunfight, right? So if you're bringing people primarily into the cyber fight and that's the answer, and this kind of goes into, you know, not having enough trained professionals, numbers alone don't do really do anything. Right. It's what's this skill set, right? We should be, and I think people are paying attention to this, um, we should be very focused when we're bringing people into the game through the badging system and the academics and the companies is to training up on the skill sets around uh, uh, data scientists and increasingly AI folks who un really understand AI, right, in an ethical fashion. It is definitely a case cyber criminals are going to use AI, and it's definitely a case that good, good, actors are going to use um, AI as well. The question is going to be, you know, what, who gets there first and the game is going to step up like it has in every single situation. Quantum's going to be there and well as well. So can we get the leverage of these technologies minimally to, at the same time the bad actors do and ideally slightly ahead of them, right? Kind of back to making it more expensive. And just one last point is AI, generative AI, right? It, in any form or fashion, it's far from free uh, to actually execute, you know, AI queries right? uh, today. We'll see what happens in the future. Today is is happening back in uh, data centers, and it's a very expensive transaction. It's very expensive to train all the models, the LLMs, right? It's very expensive to actually generate even relatively simple responses from an AI perspective to get it to you. So it's extremely costly right now to do that. That will change, of course, over time. It always does. But working on capabilities and technologies uh, as an example, which is the good actors can use AI more economically. That's a technical point, right? more economically than the bad guys can. That alone you know, would put the, our foot forward on it. So I think we'll see a lot of focus on things like that. Gordon, you talk to a lot of CISOs. We do. In fact, in the past couple of weeks, we had the CISO from Equifax come on with us and United Airlines, and they're bringing this up. We're not asking them questions. This is a big focal point right now. Uh, I'm curious, uh, what are you hearing uh, you know, from the people that you talk to around you know, AI and chat GPT? If you take two of the most the more recent uh, cyber attacks that have happened here, Steve, you got MGM and seizures, right? Where there's a social engineering aspect that's going on there. And so I think one of the dangers that AI can have with, from an adversary perspective is that think of it as a big open source intelligence pool. I mean, that's really what LLM is, right? It's taking all that data that's out there. You're maybe able to find things that you wouldn't be able to necessarily scour manually. And if a threat actor can use that and just really create this kind of pattern of life around uh, someone that's important in the company, I think your odds of being able to breach that company get, get higher and higher. So that's how... You know, the bad guys can use it, but I think also on the flip side, and something we do too, you're using AI to look at the the metadata of these uh, threat artifacts and really understanding before they're categorized as a threat by anyone else, uh, being at the leading edge of being able to identify and 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 detect and defend against the the threats that are making it and the vectors that are making it uh, into a into a enterprise environment. That's where AI can help 
uh, companies like ours to be able to defend better. And so it, it, it is a double-edged double -edged sword and it can be used uh, on both sides, but we just have to stay ahead of it. We have to keep investing in it. And I think any company that's not incorporating it into their, at least their boardroom discussions and into their processes are probably going to be behind the curve here. So any final thoughts, Mark, on what we discussed today or, you know, AI, chat, GPT, before we let you go? I've seen some enormously scary things using this technology that, and the scariest ones I've seen are the ability to, in a very, very effective manner, create, I'll say me, and have me actually sitting here like I am right now. Like it's, it's very possible I'm not here right now, right? <laughs> like having this conversation. I've seen that level of quality. You know, I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people over time. A lot of it's been recorded on TV. Like you said, you know, you capture all that. Um, it's not hard to make me say anything you want and be visible. And uh, I've seen demonstrations of uh, fake earnings releases um, given by this CEO and CFO on audio calls. I've seen uh, product announcements that were faked given on video that looks like somebody's actually on stage talking about something, right? Now, these were demonstrations. These were not real attacks, right? These were demonstrations. But I would say, uh, to Gordon's point, the, the level of, of anxiety, anxiety properly channeled is a good thing, right? So I, I'm not saying anxiety is a bad thing, but the level of anxiety on AI, I think, should be very high. But it's going to appear in a way that's not like a phishing attack, uh, or it will be, but it's going to be so sophisticated. It's going to be in person with voice, you know, those getting your CFO to wire the money, right? You know, to, to somebody is going to take on an entirely new, um, you know, level of awareness that we need to be in front of very quickly. So I think it's pretty concerning, but like I said, I also believe we have the opportunity to, to combat a lot of that. Um, if we're, if we're leaning in heavily, which is what we should be doing right now. Well, I was planning on letting Sylvia know about this interview and a lot of Fortune 500 CISOs who we're in touch with who I know would want to hear from you. So uh, let me just say this. This really is Mark. Uh, and if anybody would like to authenticate that, <laughs> you know, send me an email, reach out to me on LinkedIn. It, it is Mark McLaughlin, I promise you. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us today. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Great to be with you. I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. This interview is sponsored by Conceal, provider of an intelligence-grade zero-trust technology that protects global companies of all sizes from malware and ransomware. To learn more, visit conceal.io. You can keep up with all of our media at cybercrimemagazine.com.